the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. Are there things that we've allowed into our lives that Jesus would say, take that out of here. That doesn't belong here. You shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be involved in that. You shouldn't be looking at that. Take that away. It doesn't belong in the life of a Christian. How, how does Jesus cleanse us? Through confession. First John says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. Many of us are probably guilty of having cheered on Jesus in our minds when reading about him clearing out the temple of the money changers. But how many of us cheer him on in the same way when he's trying to cleanse us of any lingering sin in our lives? In today's message, Pastor Dan will encourage you to reflect on what the Lord might be trying to remove in your life. In his study, you'll learn the importance of responding to any convictions with confession, repentance, and prayer. Now, here's Pastor Dan in the book of John, chapter 2, for today's edition of Ring of Truth. kids sit in the service uh, here. They always have. But if your kids start to make noise or move around a lot uh, or talk, and they, it's a distraction. Take them to the family room. That's why we have the family room. Take them to the nursing mom's room. Put them in children's ministry. That's why we have those things, so that we can keep this sacred space sacred and so that we can keep it reverent, so that people can come and seek the Lord here uh, with, without any kind of distraction. So that's, that's just a few things here for this space, this sacred space, that I think apply to us from this passage. I think some other applications for each of us individually. In the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, for example, we individually, we are called the temple of God. You're the temple of God. You're the dwelling place of God. The Holy, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. You're the temple of God, and, and we are to be holy, right? We're, we're to live a life that is sacred, so to speak. And so I think one of the things that we can apply from this passage is, are there things in our lives that interfere with our worship of Jesus Christ? Are there things that we have in our lives as the temple, are there things that hinder us from worship or prevent us from coming into his presence? Or are there things that crowd Jesus out? Remember that, that courtyard was crowded. It was too crowded to worship there. It was too noisy. You have a lot of noise in your life. 
that keeps you from really hearing from the Lord? Is your life crowded? Is your schedule crowded? Where you don't really have the time or the, or the space in your schedule to really seek the Lord? You know, I would encourage you to have sacred space in your life. And by that, I mean sacred space in your schedule. A block of time every morning, every day, where you can seek the Lord. That's just, it's set apart for that. And that's what it's set apart for. You're, you're seeking the Lord, you're praying, you're in, in his word. And that's, that's a sacred space in your schedule. And don't allow anything to encroach on it. Don't allow anything to crowd into it. Don't allow anything that might distract you and take away from that, that sacred time. Church on Sunday morning, obviously, that's a sacred space in your schedule. That's a no-brainer, right? It's just a block of time. This is what we do on Sunday mornings. We go to church. And don't allow anything to encroach on that. Don't allow anything into your schedule that's going to prevent you from being at church. That, to me, is that's without question. You know, and I, I, you think, obviously, you're a pastor. You have to be here. Even if I wasn't a pastor, even before I was a pastor, uh, when we're on vacation, we still keep that sacred space. We find a place to go to church uh, when we're on vacation. Uh, you know, my kids growing up, uh, I don't ever want them to think, like, well, we go to church when we're here, but when we're there, when we're on vacation, like, we don't think about God. No. You know, I don't want my kids to ever say, are we going to church today? Did the sun come up today? Yeah, we're going. It's Sunday. That's what we do on Sunday mornings. That's what we're about. That's a sacred space. And some of you maybe need to build in a sacred space into your schedule and block off that time. Maybe some of you, your schedule is just too crowded. And you just, you've got too much going on that's crowding out the Lord Jesus Christ from your life. Uh, you, you've, 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 got a, you've got a marketplace in the courts of the Lord in your life. And you need to deal with that. Now look what Jesus does here in verse 15. Look how Jesus deals with it. It says in verse 15, Jesus made a whip of cords. Isn't that amazing to think about? He, he takes the time, you know, he sees what's going on in the temple, and he goes somewhere and he gets something to make a whip. And how do, you know, I don't know how to make a whip. How do you make a whip of cords? He gets this whip and he goes back into the temple and he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And notice he poured out the changers money and he overturned the tables. You can picture that in the court of the Gentiles there crowded with people. And he shows up now, you know, with this whip and he starts flipping over the tables of the money changers and he's driving out the sheep and the oxen. Now notice in verse 16, he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Jesus is angry. He's angry here. We don't, there's not too many occasions in the scriptures where we see Jesus angry. But this is a righteous anger. And I want you to notice here, Jesus is angry, but he doesn't sin in his anger. He is not in a rage here, out of control. He still has self-control, even in his anger. Uh, notice that he doesn't flip over the tables that hold the cages with the doves. He tells those who sold the doves to take them out. 
He's flipping over the tables of the money changers. But when he gets to the guys who sell doves, he's not in such a rage that he flips those over too and hurts the doves that are in the cages on the tables. He's got self-control and his anger. He tells him, take these things away. You know, the Bible tells us in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, it says, be angry and do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. It says, be angry. You, you can be angry. Being angry is not a sin. But it says, when you're angry, be angry and do not sin. Don't sin in your anger. You know, don't be in such an such a uncontrolled rage that you sin and do something or say something uh, that you shouldn't do. It also says, do not allow the sun to go down on your anger. What does that tell us? That tells us our anger should always be temporary and short-lived. And, and it shouldn't last through the night. You know, as, as believers in Jesus Christ, as people that are the temple of God, and we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us that gives us self-control, that's a fruit of the Spirit, we, we shouldn't be people who are angry for days or months or years. No, it's our anger. It's okay to be angry. Don't sin in your anger and let that, let that anger be temporary. Deal with it. Resolve it before the sun goes down. That's what the Bible tells us. Deal with it that same day. So Jesus, he comes in now with this whip. He cleanses the temple. He shuts down this whole marketplace and just drives it out because it doesn't belong there. This is a sacred space, and that stuff just doesn't belong in the temple of God. And I think for us, an application would be to ask ourselves, are there things in our lives that Jesus wants to cleanse from our lives? Are there things that we've allowed into our lives that Jesus would say, take that out of here? That doesn't belong here. You shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be involved in that. You shouldn't be looking at that. Take that away. It doesn't belong in the life of a Christian. How, how does Jesus cleanse us through confession. First John says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. It says if we walk in the light, that means we, we're always you know, confessing our sins, we're keeping everything out in the light, we're not hiding anything. If we walk in the light, it says the blood of Jesus Christ continually cleanses us of our sin. And so, so it's through confession of sin and walking in the light that Jesus cleanses us of our sin. Now notice in verse 16 that Jesus said, Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Now this is why Jesus had authority to cleanse the temple, because the temple belonged to his father. It's his father's house. Uh, in verse 17, we're told now that his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. And they quote here from Psalm 69, verse 9. This is a, a messianic psalm. It's a, it's a psalm about the Messiah. And Jesus was zealous. He was passionate about God's house and about keeping God's house holy. Again, you're God's house. I'm God's house. You and I, we need to be passionate, zealous about holiness in our life. 
We need to be passionate about keeping things out of our life that just don't belong in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. And we need to deal with that stuff. And Jesus makes a whip and drives it out. And there are things maybe in your life today that you need to just drive out. You just get rid of. You know, remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, like, if if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. He's saying, you know, deal with the sin dramatically. And and for some of us, maybe that's what you need to deal with sin dramatically in your life. Not this, I'm trying to figure it out and working on it. No, there's no working on it here. (laughs) You know, there's like, get a whip and get it out. Right? That's what Jesus does. He's, He's zealous. He's passionate about keeping God's house pure. Be passionate about keeping your life pure, especially in the days that we're living in. You're listening to Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City, Maryland. We'll return to the second half of today's message in a moment. But first, here's a word from Pastor Dan. It's my privilege to share the Word of God with you through our radio ministry, Ring of Truth. Thank you for tuning in each day. Hey, I would love to hear from you. Will you take a moment to email me to tell me how these daily studies have ministered to you? I want to hear your story. You can email me through our website at calvaryec.com. That's calvaryec.com. Thanks, Pastor Dan. Now let's join him again for the conclusion of today's edition of Ring of Truth. Now watch verse 18. So the Jews, now here the Jews refers to the religious leaders. Remember the religious leaders under Annas, the former high priest, they're in charge of this whole business operation that Jesus just closed down. So the Jews, the religious leaders, answered, and notice what they say. They said to him, what sign do you show to us since you do these things? They don't immediately condemn Jesus for cleansing the temple. Instead, they say, show us a sign. Give us further proof. And it seems here that the religious leaders understood that by his actions and his words, that Jesus was identifying himself as the Messiah. Because the Messiah is supposed to appear at the temple suddenly. That's what Jesus does. He just suddenly appears one day, the Passover. Uh, Also, if you're a note taker, Zechariah chapter 14, I think verse 21. uh, There it says, it's talking about the days of the Messiah. And in the days of the Messiah, it says there will be no traders, no merchants in the temple. So that's going to be one of the signs of the Messiah. So now you've got this, Jesus shows up suddenly and he moves out the merchants. He kicks out the merchants from the temple. And these religious leaders, they don't initially uh, reject him. They, they initially say, give us a sign. Can, can you convince us of your identity by performing a miracle that will leave no doubt in our minds of who you truly are? Because it seems here that you're indicating you're the Messiah. And look at what Jesus says in verse 19. Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple And in three days, I will raise it up again. And down in verse 21, we're told he was speaking of the temple of his body and he was speaking of his resurrection. Therefore, when he when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them and they believed the scriptures and the word which Jesus 
had said. So he was not talking about the physical temple that was there in Jerusalem. He was speaking about the resurrection of his body. Jesus saying the resurrection is the sign. You guys want a sign that's going to prove beyond a doubt of who I am? The resurrection is the sign that proves who Jesus is. Uh, In Romans chapter 1, it says in verse 4, Uh, that he was declared to be the son of God by the resurrection. The resurrection proves who Jesus is, that he is the son of God, that he is the Christ. And by believing in him, we can have life in his name. The other thing that Jesus is saying here by, by talking about his body as the temple, he's saying he's the temple of God. He's the dwelling place of God, his physical body. You know, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead, and a body, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's, his physical body is the temple. And these, these religious leaders, they misunderstood uh, what Jesus was saying here. They thought he was speaking of the actual temple building there in Jerusalem. And so they say in verse 20, hey, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? Now, at his trial... When Jesus is arrested and he's brought before these religious leaders again and he's put on trial, they're going to use his words here and they're going to twist them and they're going to use them against him to try to convict him. And they're going to say, this guy said he's going to tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days. That's not what he says. He's talking about the temple of his body. He wasn't talking about the physical temple. So now jump down to verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, look what it says. Many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. And so Jesus, when he's there in Jerusalem for the Passover, he apparently did many miracles. He performed many miracles while he was there that are not recorded for us in the Gospel of John. But because of those miracles, there were many people who believed in him, many people who believed that Jesus is the Messiah, when they saw the miracles. Now look at verse 24. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. And he had no need that anyone should testify of man. He didn't need anybody to tell him what man's like. For he knew what was in man. So there's all these people that are believing in Jesus but they're believing because of the miracles. They're believing because of the miracles. They're not believing for the right reason. You know, and Jesus doesn't say, Hey, I don't care what draws a crowd. As long as people are coming, that's fine. I don't care why they're coming. As long as we're filling the seats, right? No, if they're coming for the wrong reason, he doesn't want them. He doesn't want them to come for the wrong reason. He wants them to come for the right reason. And these people are believing and coming to Jesus and and believing in him Because of the miracles. He doesn't want them coming for the miracles. You know, listen, Jesus doesn't doesn't want you to follow him because you have some expectation that he's going to do something miraculous in your life. Now, don't misunderstand. Jesus does miracles still today. He still does the miraculous today. But he doesn't want that to be the reason that you become a follower of Jesus. Well, I'm I'm, I'm just following him because I hope that he does this for me or that he fixes this, or he answers this prayer this way, and he does all these miraculous things, or he he works all these things out 
for me in my life that I can't seem to work out on my own. Now, he may do that, but that's not the reason to follow him. That's not the reason to be his disciple. And, and here he knows that they're coming for the wrong reason. They're coming just because he's a miracle worker. And so he doesn't commit himself to them because he knows if they're coming because of the miracles, that their, their faith is not going to last. Right? It's just like us. You know, if you come to follow Jesus because you think he's going to get you a job or he's going to fix your marriage or he's going to do this, now he may do those things, but if that's the primary motivation of why you're following Jesus is for the miraculous, your relationship with Jesus is going to be up and down all the time, and eventually you're going to, you're going to fall away. Because he's not, going to, he's not going to answer things the way that you're hoping that he answers it at some point. And that's not going to last. And so Jesus here says ah, he's not going to connect himself. He's not going to attach himself to these people because he knows they're coming just for the miracles. He wants us to believe in him for the right reason and believe the right things about him. What's the right reason? The gospel. The gospel. He wants us to come to him and put our faith in him because he died on the cross for our sins. And he was buried and he was resurrected the third day. And through his death and resurrection, now we can have the forgiveness of sins and we can be reconciled to God and we can have eternal life. And and the circumstances of life can't touch that, can't change that. You know, my sins are forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. I have eternal life through Jesus Christ and through his death on that cross. And nothing in my life can take that away. See, if, if I'm only coming for the miracles and not for the salvation and the gospel, if I'm only coming for the miracles, well, maybe he does the miracle, maybe he doesn't. Maybe he answers my prayer the way that I want him to, maybe he doesn't. But if I'm coming for the gospel's sake, now, man, it doesn't matter what happens in my life. Now I know, and I always have this as my firm foundation, that through his death and resurrection, I have forgiveness and I have reconciliation and I made a child of God and I have an inheritance in heaven and nothing can take that away. I can't lose that. And I'm never disappointed in that because that's, that's going to work out way better than I could ever think or imagine it's going to work out, right? So he, he, doesn't, he doesn't want you to come to him because he's a miracle worker. He wants you to come to him because he's a savior and you need a savior to save you. That's what he wants. Amen? He asked me how I know, and I say, bring truer than the finest crystal. That's all we have time for today on Ring of Truth. Thanks for joining Pastor Dan as he continued his verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of the book of 1 John. If you'd like a copy of today's message, you'll be able to find it on our website, calvaryec.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes so you never miss an edition of this program. Every time we post something new, you'll be notified. We'd love to hear from you, too, and learn how Ring of Truth has impacted your life. Please take some time soon to give us a call at 410-491-4592. Please let us know how we can be praying for you, too. And if God's doing something wonderful, we'd love to rejoice with you. That number again to reach us is 
1-800-242-4592. Do you live in the Baltimore, Washington area? If so, you're invited to join us here at Calvary Chapel this Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. for a time of worship and Bible study. Calvary Chapel is located in Columbia, Maryland, only minutes from Route 95, Route 29, or Route 100. Find out more at our website. One more time, that's calvaryec.com. With that, our time with you has come to an end. Tune in next time to learn more from the book of 1 John with Pastor Dan, right here on Ring of Truth. I recognize the